Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. They're more than meets the eye, but also therefore the athletes. Do you run? Do you golf? Do you train? You want to look like your favorite athlete? Guys like Lamar Jackson, Debo Samuel, Aaron Jones, the backbone of my dynasty team, Justin Jefferson. Well, then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today personally i love the holbrook sunglasses just a very classic look and comfortable fit for wearing around town every single day and Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want more? No more? I know you do. So head over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday sunglasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane, and it is game day. Strange as that is to sound, the Lakers play basketball today. The Summer League Lakers, anyway, kick off the California Classic against the Miami Heat at 3 o'clock. Pacific time. I can't wait for that one. We'll talk about that a little bit on this show. We also need to talk about free agency, where the Lakers are at in that process, starting to wind down here. In fact, I think there's only maybe one move left for the Lakers to make. Also want to review the roster. What have the Lakers done so far? What kind of a team have they put together? So a lot of stuff to get into here. Before we dive into everything, though, quick reminder, do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, turn on notifications as well. And then, of course, follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. If you're watching the video version on YouTube, do me a quick favor right now. Hit that like button. Get us out there in the algorithm. Certainly would appreciate that as well. All right. So first and foremost, let's talk about where the Lakers are at in terms of the roster they put together and what is left to do in free agency. So the Lakers, as of right now, have 13 players on their roster. Now that we saw them bring back D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, bring in Jackson Hayes, those are the most recent moves that the Lakers have made. When I look at the Lakers' depth chart, I think it's pretty clear that they need another big, and that is in line with the organization's thinking. From all the reports that are out there, the Lakers want to find at least one more big man. Now, as of right now, again, 13 players on the roster, That means they're probably going to just make one more move. What the Lakers tend to do is fill 14 roster spots and not 15. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible for them to do so or anything like that, but it's not typically their MO. It's not what they tend to do. Usually what the Lakers want to do is they want to have 14 roster spots filled and leave one open so that you've got that kind of added flexibility in case there's a trade that comes up. Uh, obviously for salary purposes, that helps. That's one less player that you're paying, uh, but it also could help should they want to bring in a player on the buyout market or something like that. So leaving the 15th roster spot open. Now, it, there actually is a negative consequence to leaving the 15th roster spot open, and that's due to the new CBA. You know, one of the features that I really like about the new C- CBA is that it allows you to have not two, but three two-way contracts, which I think is reflective of the growing importance of the G League and how many players we've now seen come through the G League and make their way all the way up 
to the NBA and be impact players. Of course, for the Lakers, we go back and we think about Alex Caruso making his way through the G League, eventually becoming a starter in the game that won the Lakers the 2020 NBA championship. So the G League is becoming more and more important. And bumping up the two-way contracts to three now, I thought was a good uh, step forward as we're looking at the, the overall impact of the league. But in order to have three, you have to have a full roster of 15. The NBA was afraid that what teams would do is if they bumped up the G League roster spots to three or two-way roster spots to three instead of two, what would happen is more teams would elect to not fill their 15th roster spot instead, just having a third player on a two-way contract. Now, two-way contracts have some restrictions. This coming season, they're only going to be able to appear in 50 games. Um, there's also a 90-game rule. It gets a little bit complicated, but the bottom line, is that the NBA was afraid that what teams would do across the board is just not fill a 15th roster spot and pay a two-way two -way contract significantly less, use that as a way to save money. That's not really what the NBA wants. It's not what the Players Association certainly wants. So the only way you get that third two-way spot is if you fill a full roster of 15. So again, that could just be something to keep an eye on for when the season starts up. Currently, the Lakers do have three players on two-way contracts. Again, they'd have to get into compliance when the season starts, but... Currently, you've got Cole Swider, you've got Colin Castleton, and Demoy Hodge. So if the Lakers do decide to use their same old strategy of only having 14 roster spots filled and leaving one open, that means one of those players will have to be cut from their two-way contract in order to make that happen once the league season does start up. So that'll be a decision for the Lakers to make. But nonetheless, um, I do think the Lakers need another center. And if you're watching the YouTube version of, of this, I'm going to put up my basic thoughts of what the Lakers rotation is going to look like. And I'm going to get into kind of the roster build uh, a bit more in just a moment. But if you look at this, I think it's pretty clear that the Lakers need another center. Anthony Davis, Jackson Hayes, those are really the only two centers on your roster. Sometimes teams will have a guy who's a power forward that can get away with playing center. I don't look at Jared Vanderbilt and think, okay, that's, that's somebody who should play center. Rui Hachimura, I don't think he's somebody who should play center. Uh, obviously there's extreme situations, right? Extreme circumstances where you may be playing small, but we don't typically think of these players as centers. Um, LeBron can play center a little bit again in a pinch if he has to, but right now it's really just Anthony Davis and Jackson Hayes. And Jackson Hayes is still enough of a question mark to where I think the Lakers need another big body at the center position. So how do they go ahead and do that? How do you find a center well, right now, the Lakers actually have like seven, eight million, depending on exactly what the contracts come in at roughly seven, eight million below the 172 million hard cap, which they triggered when they gave Gabe Vincent the full mid-level exception. They're also using the biannual exception on Torian Prince. Again, I'll get a little further into the roster build in just a minute, but that doesn't mean the Lakers have seven or eight million dollars in spending power. No, they don't. They're an above-the-cap team. They've used their exceptions. That means the only thing that they can use to go sign a center is a veteran minimum contract. Now, who can you get for that veteran minimum? Well, the, the market is very, very thin. It was thin to begin with. At the outset of free agency, the market was thin. Now, it's incredibly thin. Um, there's some guys that are still out there. Look, the, the Phoenix Suns just got Eric Gordon on a veteran minimum deal. That's, that's an insane steal. Um, so who you never know. Sometimes you'll get somebody who just, there's not a lot of options around the league for them. 
the opportunities are drying up and they say, you know what, I, that's it. I'm going to take a veteran minimum one-year deal somewhere. So let me go on a team that I think I'm going to get a lot of minutes and I think I'm going to get a chance to win. So if there's a center that looks at the Lakers situation and says, you know what, I'm better than Jackson Hayes. I bet I can beat out Jackson Hayes and be the backup center. Maybe that becomes an attractive option. When I look at players like that, I'm thinking Mason Plumley. But again, that's I think that's probably wishful thinking. Somebody's going to pay him more than that. Christian Wood, maybe. I, I'd imagine Christian Wood is probably looking for a starting job somewhere, but maybe he finds himself kind of out of the market where nobody's really willing to sign him. Maybe that's something he takes if push comes to shove. But again, I think that's more wishful thinking. Most likely, we're talking about players like Tristan Thompson, the who's an incumbent, was with the Lakers last season. We're talking about Mo Bamba. Uh, we're talking about maybe like a Bismack Biombo, somebody like that who I wouldn't hate. He's actually really good when it comes to rim protection. Has plenty of flaws. But I do think that the Lakers, if they're going to bring in a veteran minimum center, which I do think probably is what we see them do, uh, if they're going to do that, I think you have to factor in how much of a wild card Jackson Hayes still is. And so because of that, I am, if I'm the Lakers, I'm leaning towards somebody who is more of a known quantity. I know what this player is going to bring me. I don't think that necessarily is true of Mobamba. I don't know that that's even true of Tristan Thompson, who aside for, you know, a few random minutes here and there, and he did look good in a stretch for the Lakers against the Nuggets, but we haven't really seen a lot of him. So I think Bismack Biombo probably is the safest bet out there on the market for the Lakers right now. No guarantee you can get him. You know, that's the other thing about free agency is we tend to look at free agency as though you're just, you're, you're going shopping at the supermarket or something like that. And, and everything that's on the shelf, all you have to do is just pick it, put it in your cart, and you've, you've got that player on your team. And that's just not the way free agency works. Remember, the player has to agree to go to your team as well. So we tend to look at the list of free agents and go, oh, clearly the Lakers need to pick this guy, this guy, and this guy. Well, that player also has to come to want to come to the Lakers. So um, does Bismack Biombo want to be a Laker? Does Mobamba want to be a Laker? What about uh, Tristan Thompson, uh, Christian Wood, Mason Plumlee, right? There's still some names that are out there, but it's pretty thin in terms of op options for the Lakers. Now, there is another path. There is another path besides going the veteran minimum route. And I want to say this is very unlikely because I don't want to get people's hopes up and get people thinking, whoa, they can go get like a $7 million player. It's very unlikely. But what the Lakers could do, because they still have Malik Beasley's bird rights, should there be a team, and again, this is why it's unlikely, should there be a team that really wants Malik Beasley, that doesn't have cap space, that, Malik, that believes Malik Beasley's market is greater than a veteran minimum contract, they could do a sign-and-trade with the Lakers, the Lakers signing Malik Beasley, trading him to another team, that team sending back a center. Again, the Lakers still have to be below that $172 million hard cap, so you're probably looking at a guy who makes like $7 million or less. That's what you're looking for in this type of transaction. But again, it's not likely. It's very difficult to pull off sign and trades, but it's a possibility that's out there. Of course, if the Lakers decided, they could also bring back Malik Beasley for themselves. I don't get the sense that's the way it's going to go. Lonnie Walker signed a one-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. That's going to be on a minimum deal as well. I would think had that opportunity been there for the Lakers, if they were really looking at another guard, why not just bring back Lonnie Walker on a, on a veteran minimum who's good, had the, the classic game four against the Golden State Warriors. They opted not to do that. To me, that's a very strong sign 
that they're not looking at the guard position. So maybe use Malik Be- Beasley in a sign and trade. I don't see the Lakers bringing him back in themselves, but that's just one more possible avenue to getting a big man, to getting a center uh, in the rotation without having to just rely on the veteran minimum. But once again, using the veteran minimum on someone is the far more likely path the Lakers are going to go down because I don't think that Malik Beasley being in a sign-and-trade situation is something that's going to happen, even though theoretically it is possible. All right, so who the Lakers are going to get for that 14th roster spot, we're going to keep keep an eye on. Of course, we'll keep you informed right here on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, keep you up to date on everything that they are doing. But right now we know they're looking for another big, and it may be the type of situation where they just, you know, they, they let the dust settle. They let some of the remaining cap space come off the board, and they say, hey, whoever's left standing, who wants a mid-level exception here? And you go grab whoever you think the best player is once the dust starts to settle a bit. Also possible that if the Lakers just really, they look at the free agent big man market and they don't see anybody that they like right now. They don't have to have that roster spot filled immediately. They could wait. They could explore other options. They could bring in some other veterans uh, for workouts and things like that. In the meantime, get a look at Colin Castleton. He's going to be playing in the California Classic. He's going to be playing here in Las Vegas at, at Summer League. Get a look at him. Always possible that if Colin Castleton really pops, maybe you want to bump him up to a full roster spot and give him that 14th spot. Again, not saying that's going to happen, not what I would project from an undrafted free agent, although I am very, very intrigued by him, but you never know. So I don't think there's a great rush to get this done right now. It would be different if, if Christian Wood tells the Lakers tomorrow or Mason Plumlee tells the Lakers tomorrow, hey, I'll come play for a veteran minimum. Great, here's the contract, sign it. Right now, here's a pen. Sign this thing. Let's go, right? Aside from that, though, I don't think you're losing a lot by waiting. Yeah, there's not a lot of names out there, but we're kind of at the end of free agency anyway. Everything's winding down, and there's no guarantee that who you sign right now is that much better than a player that you're going to be able to go sign in a month right before training camp starts up, right? Bringing in a veteran that has been out working out on their own and things and just checking in on somebody. There's no... There's no guarantee that whoever you find right now is going to be all that much better than something that you find in a couple months. Again, there's some names that are still out there. We certainly have some preferences in terms of who you'd like to see. But if you feel like there's some benefit to getting Colin Castleton a look and perhaps using that 14th roster spot on him, it wouldn't be the worst idea to at least leaving the spot open for Summer League and then filling it after that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about the roster build in general. And again, this is pending a center edition. I'm going to put the screen back up here with the with the full build, uh, the way I see it anyway. Now, the one thing about when I list out positions like this is to keep in mind, the NBA is becoming increasingly positionless, right? D'Angelo Russell, if you call D'Lo a point guard to his face, he will tell you he's not a point guard. And he's been doing that since he was a rookie. And he's not wrong. To call him a point guard, even though that's what we often do, is not really accurate, right? I mean, he plays the one, he plays the two, he's interchangeable between those two, and the NBA is becoming more switchy, more versatile. So when we're looking at positions, and the reason why I'm saying this is because, for example, like I have Cam Reddish mentioned in there at like a power forward. He can also play shooting guard if you need him to, right? He can be a small forward, he's 6'8". He could play any of those positions. 
So what I don't want is to get a bunch of messages. Why do you have this player here? He can def he's he's a four, not a five, or he's a five, not a four. He's a two, not a three. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. There's a lot of guys who play a lot of different positions. This is just where I happen to slot them on this kind of rough sketch of where the Lakers are at. So here's what I'm at. At the one, okay? Or maybe I should just list guards. Here's the Lakers guards. I've got D'Angelo Russell. I've got Gabe Vincent, Jalen Huchifino, Austin Reeves, Max Christie. And you can see I'm delineating Austin Reeves and Max Christie. On this, I've got them as twos. The other three players I have as ones. But like Austin, we've heard Austin's going to handle the ball more uh, this next season. They're going to run the offense more through him. Great. That could make him, maybe you consider him more of a one. Maybe you, maybe you flip-flop Austin and Dela. Again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter all that much. But this is what the build is looking like. Now, at the forward positions, we've got LeBron, Torian Prince, Max Lewis, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, Cam Reddish. Again, I think Cam Reddish in a pinch can play the two. At the center position, you've got Anthony Davis. You've got Jackson Hayes. And this is why I've had some people tell me, well, the Lakers don't have much depth at the two. And this is true when we're looking at this, right? We're looking at this. You see, okay, it's Austin Reeves and it's Max Christie. And then there's a blank. I don't think getting another two is anywhere near as important as getting another five, right? There's going to be situations where the Lakers go small and they have LeBron or Rui at the five. But Jackson Hayes is a question mark. Hopefully it pans out. Hopefully his insane athleticism works out great for the Lakers. But we don't know for sure. And so for that reason alone, that reason alone, I think you need another center. You need a third center on your roster. But beyond that, there isn't anybody else aside from AD that you want to plug in and play center minutes. Like, could Rui do it? Could LeBron do it? Could Vanderbilt do it? Kind of. But that's really not ideal to go down that path. So there isn't really other options to put in at the center position right now. Conversely, you look at the Ed shooting guard, Austin Reeves, Max Christie. Okay. But Gabe Vincent can play the two if he needs to. He can play off ball. D'Lo can do it. Jalen Huchifino is big enough to do it. Cam Reddish can do it. You've got all these other guys that if you need to put them in at the two, they can play the two. In fact, I, I part of the reason why I'm not worried about it is D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, there's a decent chance all three of those guys play more than 30 minutes. So we're talking about in terms of total minutes available between the two positions, between point guard and shooting guard in the backcourt, it's a total of 96 minutes available. Well, if D'Lo Reeves and Gabe Vincent all play 30 minutes, that's 90 minutes right there. We're talking about six minutes that you need from somebody else. And I think there's reason to believe that Max Christie can do that. He's already on muscle watch. He's put on like 15 pounds of muscle since last season. There's a good possibility that Max Christie can be that guy at the two. And if he's not, guess what? There's other guys who you can turn to on the roster that can do it. Because again, we're probably talking about six minutes here, given the rotation. So that's why I'm not as concerned about the two as I am the five. I think the clear need is at the five for the Lakers to bring in another player who can eat 10 minutes a game while AD's out. That's what you're looking for. Now, when I look big picture at this roster build, 
I think it really, and understanding that another move is still coming, I think, man, the Lakers did some work. The Lakers did some work this summer. And I mean, it didn't take long, right? They they basically, 24 hours, essentially, and they were done in, in free agency. Again, they still have one more move to make, but they put this roster together very, very quickly. And it's very impressive. You know, you're getting praise from all over the league. The national pundits are talking about how great the Lakers did. I thought they got tremendous value on their deals. There's not a single deal that they gave out where I went, where the initial reaction was, ooh, that's kind of a lot, right? Like Jeremy Grant in Portland. Everybody's kind of going, ooh, wow, that's a lot. Dylan Brooks in Houston. Oh, my God, they gave him $80 million. What is happening, right? The Lakers didn't do that. And the Lakers have done that in the past. I mean, I hate to bring it up, but Timofey Mozgov and Luol Deng, ouch. I thought the Lakers did a really nice job either getting bargain contracts or getting contracts where you, at the most, you just go, yeah, that's a fair deal. That's a fair deal. Not once do I look at a deal and say, ooh, Man, the Lakers really overpaid there. No, the D'Lo contract's great. The Austin Reeves contract is probably the, is the best move they made. And part of that is the restrictions in the NBA because they now have him for at least three years on a deal that is underpaying him based on his production. For three years on a deal that's underpaying him. That is incredibly fortunate for the Lakers. Uh, Gabe Vincent, based on his production, very much worth what they gave him, and it's right in line with what his peers around the NBA at his position received. Rui Hachimura, no problem with it. Maybe the average value is a little bit higher than we were looking for, ideally, but no problem with it. Torian Prince, I thought he was a bargain on a $7.5 million, $7.6 million contract with the Wolves that they declined. So to get him at $4.5 million, it's a tremendous value. So not only do I think they did well financially, though, because that like you want to get value from players. You want to get value with your contracts. You want to get bang for your buck. That's all important. But the most important thing is that when you put the guys on the floor together, your team makes sense. If you have a team full of these incredible values, but they're all six, five and under, well, you're screwed, right? Like, hey, we got their great contract. Yeah, but you're not going to win any basketball games. Right, So it, you, you have to do both. You have to be pretty shrewd with the moves that you make, and you also have to put together a competent roster. And I think the Lakers did both those things. I look at this roster, understanding that a big is probably coming, and I think, God, this is balanced. And it's so different from the roster that we saw last year. Last year in July, you go back, you listen to those shows, and we are talking about how the roster makes no sense. About how unbalanced the roster is about how the roster is screaming for a Russell Westbrook trade because it made no sense. The roster was being put together. There was no balance to it. You look at this and this is balanced. You've got everyone on the team essentially is a multi-position player. And that's going to give a lot of mix and match opportunities to Darvin Ham. But I also look at this beyond just where you slot guys in positionally, talent-wise, skill set-wise, what a player is. I look at that. I look at the player archetypes here. And there's a common theme, and it's the theme the Lakers told us about. 
You know, that was one of my keys going into free agency was I want to see a plan. I want to see a plan that makes sense. I want to see them execute that plan. The the great example is in 2020 or 2019, 2020, when Kawhi Leonard said no, when Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard turned down the Lakers, they had a plan in place and they executed it quickly and it made sense. Suddenly you've got Avery Bradley and Danny Green in your starting backcourt joining LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You've got rim-protecting bigs in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. Now, obviously, initially it was Boogie Cousins, then later it becomes Dwight Howard, but there was a contingency plan. It was one that made sense, and they executed it with purpose. And I feel like that's what the Lakers did here, too. You know, Rob Palenka told us, told us before free agency started, we're looking for guys who are tough, who are selfless, and are defensive-minded. And I look at the guys they added. I look, oh, Torian Prince. He is tough. He's selfless. He's defensive-minded. Gabe Vincent. Look, he's not always the best defensive player, but he's defensive-minded. He's going to give you everything he's got on that end of the floor. He's certainly tough. He's definitely selfless. He can play on or off the ball. I look at the moves the Lakers made here, and it all makes sense. And even down to their draft picks, Jalen hood Shafino. In terms of character, in terms of his drive and desire to get better, all we've heard is glowing reports on that. The Lakers talked about it in that great behind-the-scenes video that went out right after the draft. Rob Blink is saying, telling JHS, like, they know he's a good basketball player, but where he really sold them was in the interview process. They know that... This kid is someone who thinks the game at a high level. This is a kid who care, who's going to commit fully to the game. You look at Max Lewis, how much it matters to him to be playing in his own backyard, to be playing in L.A. You look at the skill set that he brings. You look at the intangibles that he brings to the floor. There is just an overall theme to this team, and that doesn't mean everything's good. It doesn't mean they're going 82-0. Doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be things for the head, the coaching staff to figure out. But I think they executed a vision here. Again, visions don't always work out the way that you want. This isn't me saying this team is a juggernaut and nobody's stopping them. What I'm saying is there's a cohesive plan and they executed it. And I've got to give Rob Palenka, I've got to give the front office a lot of credit for what they did because not only... Did they hit the theme? Did they hit the style of player that they wanted? But they also filled out a roster that is balanced and makes sense. And they also did it on bargain contracts. They did it with deals that make sense. So you check all three boxes. You made good deals on contracts that are probably not going to be seen as bad contracts into the future. You found players that fit your theme and you found players at positions where you can build a cohesive roster. That's the that's a job well done. You know, for a front office that has come under fire quite a bit, particularly in the, in the Russell Westbrook era, and rightfully so. That was a move that derailed the franchise for a year and a half. But looking at what they've done and the way they've come out of this, and I don't, I'm not looking at the Lakers and saying this is the favorite to come out of the West now. But I think they have largely, when I look at this roster, I think they fixed it. They undid the Westbrook damage. And I think it's pretty clear. And this, if nothing else, 
this roster they put together, I think, should inspire more confidence in the front office, certainly more than we had a year ago. I really think they've done a, a nice job, and I can't wait to see who the last guy is that comes in, who that big is that takes the 14th roster spot, and then where things go from here. What does this team look like when they're actually on the floor and playing? Speaking of which, we are going to see the Lakers on the floor and playing today, and we do need to talk about that. But first, let me give a shout-out to our sponsor, and that is Bird Dogs. Now, Bird Dogs are incredible, incredible shorts. In fact, they are stretch khaki shorts. They're designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg and give you a truly sculpted look. Um, they fit way better than regular shorts uh, that are made of a stiff and restricting cotton. I can tell you, I've got several pairs of, of Bird Dog shorts myself, and they're phenomenal. They just, they're stretchy, so they're very, very comfortable, and they just fit extremely well. Um, it looks like khaki, but it stretches, so it gives you like a slimmer fit, but you don't sacrifice movement at all, which is incredible. Normally, like you get a slimmer fitting short and you're you can't move as much, it's just kind of stiff and you don't feel good. That is not the case with these at all. And they use an anti stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Literally, and I've mentioned this on shows before, but when you put them on, they just feel cooler. Your skin feels cooler than a regular pair of shorts. It really, the best, the best example I can give is it feels like you're putting on the other side of the pillow. That's what it feels like, which is so critical right now when it's, when it's summertime and it's hot outside. So uh, go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter the promo code pool and you get a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So go check those out. All right. Let's get into the California Classic. Let's talk a little bit about that. So what is it we're looking for in the California Classic? So uh, the Lakers are going to kick off their play today in Summer League. Now, typically the California Classic, like you're going to see even more of the end of the bench guys in the California Classic games. Las Vegas Summer League, which starts up on the 7th, which, wow, that's coming up fast. I can't wait. Um, that's going to be where you're going to see more of kind of the, the top tier guys. But nonetheless, what are we looking for in today's game against the Miami Heat? What are we looking for? So I'm obviously, and I think most people, they're going to focus in on the players who are who have a genuine shot to make the Lakers roster, uh, even if it's just as a two-way. And so that's going to be, you know, I'm curious about Scottie Pippen Jr. I want to see how he, he's developed. He no longer has a two-way contract. He's playing to get noticed by somebody. Maybe it's the Lakers. Maybe it's not. But Scottie Pippen Jr. is a guy to keep an eye on. But of course, Jalen Huchifino is the headliner, right? The 17th pick. The Lakers spent that pick on him. It's the highest draft pick they've had in years. And so I want to see how does his game translate? How does the speed, how does the speed work for him? Because summer league play, it's a little bit chaotic. It's very fast. These teams... Think about this. When you're watching Summer League ball, this is something you have to remember. These are teams that have been thrown together, that have only had a few practices. They, it's not like they've been playing together for a year. So chemistry and cohesiveness is something that is lacking. It's also teams that are built full of players that are mostly playing for their basketball lives. Right, That's what you're seeing. You're seeing guys that are playing, not necessarily just to get into the NBA, but to catch someone's eye. If it's in the NBA, great. For some of them, it's it's the G League. For some of them, it's 
clubs overseas. These are guys that want to continue their careers or start their careers in professional basketball. So once again, not a lot of chemistry, can be a little bit chaotic, and you've got guys who are going 100 miles an hour as though their basketball lives depend on them. All of that creates an environment that can be very difficult to adjust to, just being thrown out there. So I want to see JHS being a guy who isn't known as having insane burst. What does that look like? How does he handle the speed of the game? In addition to that, he played in Indiana in a system where it was very, very compact, right? The paint was always clogged. And so we saw him, and he's very good at it, but we saw him take a lot of pull-up jumpers. What does he do when this floor is spread more with NBA caliber players out there? What does that look like? That's one of the things I'm very curious of as well. Does he have an easier time getting to the basket with NBA style floor spacing? So that's something I'm looking at as well for JHS. Then you go down and you talk about Max Christie. If we go to the two guard spot, Max has already put on weight. He's He's got more muscle on him. He looks, I mean, from the workout videos he's been posting, he looks fantastic. The shot is still pristine. The form, it is beautiful. And so what I want to see out of Max Christie, even though he's still one of the younger guys on the roster, I want to see poise. I want to see a guy who has a year of pro experience under his belt and looks it compared to guys who haven't. That's what I'm looking for out of Max Christie. Can he go in and play at a level that tells you, man, he's really grown? I think back to when Josh Hart won Summer League MVP. There was just a sense when he was out there. It was you know, he played, he got, he was in a role in his rookie season with the Lakers. He got minutes. And when you saw him on the floor, you just got to feel that he was a little bit too good to be out there for summer league. I don't know if that's where Max Christie is going to be. We didn't see a ton of him during the regular season, but that would be ideal is if you see a guy who clearly has a year of NBA experience under his belt and looks it in terms of how he gets to his spots, how he knows where his shots are. Does it look like he's struggling to get to his looks? What is he doing defensively? Is he a leader on the floor where he's calling things out? Is he vocalizing what's happening uh, on the defensive end of the floor? These are all things that I'm going to be looking for with Max Christie, and I'm through. I can't wait to see Max Christie. Uh, Max Lewis, he was asked to do a lot at Pepperdine uh, of creating. You're our best guy. Here's the ball. We need you to score because nobody else is going to do it. That's not going to be the case in the NBA. So how does he adjust? What can he do when he's no longer being asked to do so much? You know, we talk about this all the time with veterans in the NBA, where sometimes, and I think Nicholas Batum is a great example of this. Sometimes when you take a player, um, he wasn't great this past season, but you took a Nicholas Batum who was with the Charlotte Hornets and was being asked to do a lot of things. A lot, right? And he was a very versatile player when he's at his best. But as age started to catch up to him, it became more and more difficult for him to do that entire laundry list of things. Then he winds up over on the Clippers and the Clippers say, hey, um, wow, well, that's great that you can do all those things. We need you to do like these three things. We just need you to defend, rebound, and shoot the kickout three when it gets to you. Can you just focus on those three? And then suddenly the player has new life, right? They are able to just lock in on a few things specifically and it, it enables them to be more effective that way because they're more efficient just focusing on those few things rather than trying to do so much. I want to see that effect with Max Lewis. Again, not an old player as a rookie, but I'm curious to see 
when he's not being asked to do all the stuff that he had to do for Pepperdine, what happens to his efficiency? Does he become that much more efficient? What do we see on the defensive end of the floor when he doesn't have to burn all of his energy creating on offense? What does he look like defensively? Does his defensive game go to another level when he's playing with JHS, who can score the ball, when he's playing with Max Christie, who can score the ball, when he's playing with Cole Swider, who can shoot the hell out of the ball? We're going to get to him in a minute. That's the question for Max Lewis, and I want to see what that looks like. What does it look like when Max Lewis does not have to be the offensive end engine? Instead, he can be a role player. Does that actually take his game to another level because he can focus in on just a few things rather than trying to do everything? Cole Swider, keep shooting the ball, Cole. Keep shooting it. Shot 43% from deep in the G League last season. Had an injury midseason that uh, that slowed him down a bit. It's why we didn't hear as much about Cole Swider. We know he has an elite NBA skill. He is an elite shooter. That's what Cole Swider is, and that's going to be there, Right. The question with Cole Swider is, where's his defense? That is what will get him into the NBA and keep him in the NBA, is if he could, at some point, defend at an NBA average level. So I'm not going to worry so much about Cole Swider shooting. Don't get me wrong. We're going to be talking about the amazing Swider-Man. We're going to be talking about Cole Sniper every time he shoots a three and he drains it. But I know he's a great three-point shooter. Even if he comes out the first game and he goes 0 for 6 from deep, I'm not going to worry because I know... He's a phenomenal three-point shooter. What I want to see out of him is where's his defense at? What level is his defense at? Because that's going to be the big factor. And then, you know, of course, hand-in-hand hand with that, what's the rebounding look like? Can he be any kind of a, not a rim protector, but can he contest a little bit at the rim when asked to do that? If he's playing the power forward position, what does that look like? So it's the other stuff. The shooting we know it's going to be. If he goes 9 for 9 in his first game, if he goes 0 for 9, we know that's just small sample size. He is a great shooter. What I want to see is how is his defense improved and has it improved enough to keep him in the league? Uh, Colin, when we talk about Colin Castleton, man, what an intriguing, intriguing big man. I, I think it's probably setting the bar high if we're looking at Colin and saying, can he be the backup big to Anthony Davis. It's not impossible. Austin did it, and Colin is very similar. Number one, he shares an agent with, with Austin Reeves, but he also declined opportunities to go to other teams, potentially be drafted, instead wanting to go undrafted so he can go to the Lakers. Makes sense. There's opportunity. We've been talking about it. There's opportunity here with the Lakers. So with Colin Castleton, is he of the level where the Lakers... And we're not going to know this immediately from one game, but where the Lakers should pay attention to him and have him in the mix for a potential roster spot, knowing that there's a need at the center position. He blocked three shots a game last year for Florida. You know he's got shot blocking chops. He's also very interesting because he can do things that a lot of bigs can't. And that's not the three-point shot yet. Maybe at some point it will be. Hopefully it will. But right now, Colin Castleton is a better passer than most bigs, and he's got the ability to grab and go. He can get a rebound and lead the fast break on his own. He's actually, like, he's not just a good passer out of the high post. He is. But he's also a good passer leading the fast break. I mean, 6'11", and he's leading the fast break and dropping pinpoint accurate passes. 
what does that look like at this level? Is the, And again, if you're a, a big in the NBA right now, teams want to know, can you protect the rim? Can you rebound? And if you can shoot the three, then that's, you know, the, that's the icing on the cake. What he can do aren't necessarily things that teams are looking for from a big, but they can be beneficial nonetheless. So what does Castleton's game look like? Can it translate? And by the time the dust settles with Summer League, is he good enough to where we have to add him into the mix? And that's not what I'm expecting. I wouldn't put that on an undrafted free agent as that's the expectation. But I am curious where he is in the standing when everything is said and done. It could be that he's pretty good and we say, yep, he's pretty good, but he needs some time in the G League before he can really make that leap up to the NBA. That's probably the most likely scenario. But the path is there for minutes. And so I'm going to be keeping an eye on seeing, can Colin Castleton get himself into the mix to potentially be a name for that last roster spot and be that backup big that the Lakers need? All right. Um, last guy I'm going to mention is the other guy that's on a two-way contract. That's Demoy Hodge. I want to see defensively what can he do. We know this guy can shoot. We saw it in college. Defensively, what can he do? Can he stay on the floor at an NBA level? while continuing to shoot incredibly well from three. This is, again, when I think about Cole Swider, when I think about Demoy Hodge, Max Christie, Max Lewis can shoot the three. This is why I'm really curious to see what Jalen Huchifino can do with NBA spacing because the summer league team has shooters, has guys you have to defend behind the three-point line. So again, we're going to get our first opportunity to see JHS, Fino, if you will, uh, in an environment that gives him space to operate. All right. I love it. There's Lakers basketball today. We get to see this. Lakers against Miami Heat. I don't care who wins or loses. It's Summer League. I want to get a look at all these players and see what they've got. I, I can't wait for it. Going to be a lot of fun. We'll break it down on uh, tomorrow's LakersNation.com podcast. Actually, we'll have a live show uh, Monday evening, so we'll break it down there on that. But um, thank you everybody for joining me here on the LakersNation.com podcast. Make sure you are again, subscribed to the YouTube channel, turn on those notifications. I love seeing those subscribers going up, 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 uh, respond in the comments, right? It's a great place to have a conversation about Lakers basketball too, in the comments section on all of our videos, all of our podcasts, all of that. So don't just subscribe, but get involved, become part of Lakers nation and uh, we talk through everything. So respond in the comments. Give us your thoughts, really, uh, on what you think about the Lakers, about the roster build, what you're expecting in Summer League, anything else that's on your mind regarding this team. And don't forget, go follow the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. In fact, do both things. Be on the YouTube side. And then when you're not in a position where you can watch the video, well, you can listen to the show as well on the podcast version while you're mowing the lawn, you're at the gym, whatever you're traveling to summer league, right? You're traveling out to Las Vegas. You can listen to the show, listen to the podcast version again, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts and a great way to help out the show as well is to give us a five-star rating and review over on Apple podcasts. That's a lot. I know I'm asking a lot there, but um, really we are so thankful of all of, for all of the support that we received from all of you. And um, it, it blows me away sometimes that uh, that we get so many people that are that are watching, that are listening, that are commenting, that are becoming a part of this community. So very thankful for that. And want to encourage people, if you haven't done so already, join in, join us, be part of Lakers Nation. All right, everybody. Thank you again. Till next time. See ya. 
and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.